0: Welcome to A Different Way of Travelling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show.
1: Hello, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. We're recording this in August 2020, and next month, believe it or not, marks our second anniversary as a podcast. To mark that event, we're inviting you to submit any questions you have on accessible travel, on the travels that we've done as individuals, or on the organization Accessible South Africa. And we'll put together the answers into a podcast episode to mark our birthday. You can contact us by email on Podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Twitter at ZA or at accessiblesa, or you can find us on our Facebook group, Accessible South Africa, and would really love to hear the questions you've got, and so we can have a great episode digging into some of your questions. But that's all for the future. Today, we've got another great interview to share with you, to introduce you to some platforms to help passengers and travellers with disabilities. So, let's dive into that interview. It's with an Australian lady by the name of Julie Jones. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, I'm very excited to be chatting to Julie Jones all the way from Sydney in Australia. Julie is the founder of a platform called Have Wheelchair Will Travel and is co-founder and editor of the magazine Travel Without Limits. Julie, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you with us and I'm so excited to to chat to you and get some of your insights on accessible travel and learn a little bit about your journey and your platforms. So can we actually just start off by saying to please to introduce yourself to our, our audience and tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. Well, I am
2: Julie, as she's already said live in Sydney, Australia, which I absolutely love. And I used to work in the travel industry for many years. So my background is very much travel orientated. And then my son was born with, well, we didn't actually know he had a disability. And then at five months of age, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And our life sort of turned into this different world of therapy and trying to make sure he had the best early start he could get. And after a while, we sort of felt like rabbits on the, oh, sorry, mouse on the wheel and just back and forth, back and forth to everything. And we realised that we needed the breaks. We needed the travel and that we shouldn't feel guilty for taking it. So we just started to do some local travel. And as time went on, we realised that there were other people struggling to find accessible Hotels, accommodation, things like that. And it was really after we won a trip to Disneyland um, back in 2011 and we had such a fantastic trip. I'd researched every detail of it um, with my travel background and we thought we needed to share it with other people. So that was when we started Have Wheelchair World, World Travel where we write hotel reviews, reviews, um, equipment reviews, all sorts of things, just really documenting our travels and trying to help other people with really detailed information so they too can hopefully benefit from our travels and see where they can go and what's possible. And then I started writing for uh, about accessible travel for some family publications in Australia, which was lovely to see it in mainstream media, but one story in each issue didn't seem enough because there was just so much to explore. And um, luckily I had somebody who was happy to co-found a magazine with me and we started Travel Without Limits magazine where we have people with lived experience sharing their travels and it's it's inclusive of all disabilities and abilities basically. So not just wheelchair accessible travel but we want vision impairment, hearing impairment, people with autism or sensory Um, Needs, So we're really trying to cover a a wide range of people um, to encourage them to travel and also really to show the tourism industry that there is a thirst for that information and that there is is sort of the economic benefits of um, catering to that market.
1: Well, I think we're going to dig a little bit deeper into each of those aspects as we go through the interview, and I'm really interested to hear some of your thoughts and insights. But let's take it back one step and just ask about the travels that you and your family have done.
2: Yes, well, as I said before, we started local because I was very nervous. Um, My son's a wheelchair user and needs help with all his daily living needs. So it was really a matter of working out, I guess, what made a good holiday for us, what we needed in a destination and what equipment we needed to take. And then once we had that sort of worked out, we started to go further afield. We did a cruise with him when he was two and we went to New Zealand. We've been to Central Australia and we've been to America many times now. Um, we've been to Fiji, which was interesting um, just because the I guess the accessible infrastructure wasn't there, but the willingness and the people was really there to actually help us and we had a fantastic time there. Um, New Zealand so we've really enjoyed traveling as a family and sometimes we do an easy beach holiday and sometimes we do something that's a bit more adventure packed and um, you know really caters to everyone.
1: And can you just share some of the logistics? I believe very strongly that as a person with a disability or a family member traveling with someone with a disability often the biggest factor that makes a difference is the research that we do upfront to kind of know what we're going into. So can you tell us a few of the logistics of how you prepare and plan for your trips? Sure. Well, for us, it's
2: a matter of, we don't search for uh, <clears throat> sort of, we don't choose a destination necessarily. First up, we look at where we can find that will cater to all our different interests. So my son for interest the a friend instance, loves motorsports and things like that. My daughter's an animal lover. So we look for somewhere that will be accessible but will cater to everyone's interests and then we start the deep diving into the research Um first of all, start off on websites, then I'll do phoning around because I think when you speak to somebody, you get a much better idea and you can tell them what your needs are. Um, we've had lots of experiences where people say that they are accessible and then when you actually ask a lot of questions, you realise that maybe be accessible to some, but it wouldn't suit our needs for one reason or another. Um, so that's really how we start, and I, I think I reiterate what you say, planning and research is key. Um, the, the more of that you do, you may still find bumps in the road, but somebody recently asked me, you know, what are your horror stories? And we don't really have horror stories, and I think in part that is because we have spent so much time researching and asking and double-checking and having things, you know, confirmed via email.
1: I think it does make a difference and I think one of the points that you raised there, I I agree completely that what is accessible for one person is not automatically accessible for all people. So just getting the research, particularly getting images and photographs of places, just to be sure, can often save a lot of problems in the long run.
2: Yes, and I think in the era where everyone has a mobile phone or a cell phone, there is no harm in saying to a, a hotel, can you actually take a photo of that bathroom for me or the bedroom or whatever it is? So, if they're not already providing it, one, it gives them a prompt that they should be providing it, and two, it gives you reassurance that you will get what you need in a hotel room. Uh,
1: absolutely. Okay, well, I want to start looking a little bit more deeply into some of the the platforms that you are providing. So, tell us a little bit about Have Wheelchair Will Travel and why you started it, and I think more importantly, how people can best use it to benefit them in their own travels.
2: Sure. Well, I think um, with Have World Travel Travel, I was coming back from holidays and saying to friends and family, you wouldn't believe about this place. that was so accessible. And it just didn't seem enough to do that. And I guess it was in the era of people doing blogs. And so I thought, well, I'll start a blog and sort of share a little bit about it. And I think the bonus of a blog is that once you do build up a community around that blog, people get to know what you um, are presenting and whether it suits them or not and so they can tell from the way you write and the information that you provide whether they can I think you build up a lot of trust um, with the amount of information that you provide so with the website I guess say for some if somebody was flying into Sydney I have um, a blog that is just filled with accessible accommodation that I've personally reviewed Um, and I think that's One of the things that people really like is the fact that I've seen the rooms, I've taken the measurements, um, you know, they get all that information. I've taken photos. So they're not professional photos that have been taken with a a wide-angle lens to make the room look twice the size that it actually is. It's actually taken by somebody. You know, I enjoy taking photos but I'm not trying to deceive them with the size of the room or the bathroom or anything like that. So I think um, there's a lot of trust there. And we sort of, as much as we cover off um, accommodation, attractions, I really try, I'm very much a believer in people need to, there's no point in coming to Sydney and just having an accessible hotel room. It's about the entire experience. So when you get to a destination, you need to know, you know, where to eat, what to do, um, what walks you can do. You need some free activities and you need some activities that might be at the higher end of the scale that you might do as a special treat. So we very much try and cover that at a destination as well. Um, and I guess the blog has really evolved over time um, and that's very much my the way I try and write now is to give people a good idea, almost like a, a loose itinerary that they can pick and choose from to combine with their um, accommodation.
1: And when you're doing those reviews, how are you accommodating people with... Other needs, so the visually impaired community, because your um, primary knowledge base will be in mobility impairment with your son, I would imagine.
2: Certainly. So I think in the beginning, I was very much just writing from my perspective. And as the Have Wheelchair, Will Travel community grew, I decided Well, I didn't decide actually. People were just telling me their stories. They were telling me their needs and things like that. And it's very hard not to feel that you need to get that information for those people because they are part of your community and you do build a bond with that community. So certainly um, wherever I go, if there is the opportunity to do a tour with somebody from the hotel, I always ask, you know, what provisions do you have? for somebody who's visually impaired. I look for braille signage, which is much more common now than when I started. Um, and some places will say that they don't offer large print menus, for example, but everything is provided digitally, things like that. So certainly do ask, um, and for the hearing impaired, you know, look for things like visual alarms and um, those sorts of things. But I guess because of my background, the predominant thing that I'm looking for is but is the wheelchair accessibility. But certainly, if I hear a, a sensory, you know, um, friendly activity place or or a performance that's sensory friendly, then I'm always very happy to share the, that information.
1: That sounds great. So while your primary focus is on the community that is wheelchair. Um, related you will you do include things that will benefit with people with other disabilities so it's a good resource for everyone.
2: Sure I try my hardest that's for sure I try over time and I guess I'm learning as time goes. Um, My biggest challenge is I guess that I'm um, you know a mum and my son has fairly high support needs so sometimes I think the day that you saw my post um, or read my post on the accessible travel club you sort of said there was no alt text there and I thought oh I didn't put an image and it's just it's one of those things that doesn't actually I mean I'll be upfront; it doesn't come naturally to me to do an image description every time but I'm certainly really trying to make that just part of the post but often I'll have somebody that needs something and somebody that needs help with their exams and it's just the whole thing of, you know, just trying to get a post up and, you know, things fall through the crack. crack. But as I said, I've learned so much. You know, the, the Have Wheelchair World Travel started in 2012 and I'm really proud of sort of how it has evolved, but I'm certainly looking to constantly be inclusive of everyone because I think that's the society we should be working towards in general.
1: And just to provide a little bit of context on what you said, you and I got, first came into contact when you posted on a Facebook group that we're both members about of about the Travel Without Limits mag- magazine. Yeah, and I requested that you add an alt text because the image wasn't described. And to give you absolute credit, within five minutes, you did have a described image. So thank you for being willing to do that. And so quick to respond to that because I think that is important. And well, I do and I think
2: the way also it's the way you commented on it made me think, oh my goodness, I didn't do that. Whereas I think sometimes people go a very defensive, almost abusive way about it and it changes things. Whereas I really want to strive to do better when somebody says it really nicely. Cause I think, oh, I'm always trying my best. And that's the thing, when you when I miss out something, I'd prefer to learn and somebody to to ask me nicely than to, you know, be abusive, which often happens on social media. Let's be fair. Like it's a common occurrence.
1: Uh, let's be absolutely honest, it's not just on social media. I think sometimes True. people do respond in anger and frustration when, in fact, it would be far more effective to be just a little bit more polite. Yeah. But that's a totally different rabbit hole that we could go <laughs> down. So let's come back to the point. Talking about the magazine. So how did you make that shift and why did you make the shift from the blog into a, a, a magazine? How to get started? And, you know, tell us a little bit about it. Well, I think for me,
2: I felt when um, my son Brayton was little, I looked at mainstream media and I didn't see anything that represented our family. So there was always these stock imagery of a family of four climbing a mountain or doing things. There was not a single image of somebody with any form of disability and it was quite isolating and I just wondered how My son was going to be welcomed by the world, and I think, as a young mum with a grappling with a new diagnosis, it was quite daunting because I knew that we would always love him and strive to make sure he could access everything possible. And he was just such a go-get'em social. Um, you know, wanting to be a part of everything he possibly could and and he's nonverbal as well, but it didn't seem to stop him, and it didn't stop us, but it seemed like there was this barrier within the world um where there was just no representation um and it wasn't just imagery it was there was nothing written so to this day, I think often you have to deep dive on a website before you actually find information about the accessibility. Um, it's not front and centre. But I really wanted to change that. And as I said, when I started writing, um, my aim was just to get into a magazine and to see images so another mum or family that or person may not feel like the world had come to an end with a diagnosis of you know, cerebral palsy or a disability, Um, because I think we all want to sort of make the world a better place, really, Um, and sort of, I don't know, fix those things that were missing or that we didn't find. So that's how it really started. And then the magazine itself really evolved quite naturally, I think, because I was writing, my co-founder, Janice, owned the magazine that I was writing for, Um, and so There was a little conversation and a very small project. The first issue, I think, was 40-something pages and it was very thin. It was very hard to get advertisers on board with something that was brand new and Australia's first disability-specific travel magazine. So it was all about relationships that I already had with people for them to have the faith in it. Um, And, you know, the next issue we're putting out, I think is about 120 pages um, and it's glossy, it's really heavy-duty paper like you would expect in a really luxury travel magazine and that makes me super proud because I think, you know, everyone deserves the same and how lovely to have that and it's really about having people with lived experience telling their stories because I don't know how it is to travel as a a blind person. I don't know how it is to travel as a deaf person. So I really wanted those people telling their stories because I think it gives more credibility to the story um, rather than somebody writing about it. I know if I read a story written by somebody who doesn't have a wheelchair in their family and you read things and you just think, well, that's not how it would be at all. Um, And straight away, I think it just, yeah, it loses that credibility. So that's really how it got started. It was I don't know, I guess the blog and the magazine all kind of happened just out of a passion, really.
1: And when did you bring out the first episode of the the magazine? Episode, good gracious. The first? hmm. Issue. Issue. (laughs) Thank you. When did you bring out the first issue of the magazine? So the first issue was
2: March 2019 when the travel world was a very different place (laughs) than we're talking about now. Um, Yeah, so that was the first issue and so it's a biannual magazine, March and September each year, which allows us to really, I guess, scope the globe for some great travel stories from people and people are doing amazing things. That's the Mm -hmm. other thing. I think that it's such a lesson, not just to people reading the magazine to, you know, get inspiration as to how they can travel and where they can travel. But it's such a good lesson to the tourism industry and other people as to what is possible, and it's not just what is possible; it's actually the fact that people have the drive and determination to do it. So I often say to um, tourism organisations or providers, "Don't tell me what is accessible. Provide me the information of what your property is like or what your attraction is like. that as a family, we'll decide what we are prepared to do and what we're not." Edge do. So, you know, we bumped the wheelchair up big staircases with my son in it just to get him in New Zealand on a luge ride that was, you know, at the top of a mountain because we wanted to do it. And then we all came back down on the luge and the wheelchair was up the top. So my husband and son and daughter stayed at the bottom while I went back up to get the wheelchair, and then I bumped it all the way back down the stairs. Well, That wasn't an accessible experience, but it was probably one of the highlights of our trip to New Zealand for our son.
1: I think that there's, you know, most of us who are who don't see our disability as something that stops us. We find ways to do the things that we want to do. Exactly. I'm I'm also just want to quickly just go back into what you were saying about the magazine. It, It constantly surprises me. I think with disability in general that. But we're told that around 30% of people in the world are directly impacted by disability. And yet, as a a sector, we're not represented. And it just seems to be counterintuitive that if 30% of the world has a disability or is directly impacted, why isn't there more out there about the topic of disability?
2: I think a lot of people see it in the travel industry anyway as a difficult area to please um, because there's such a breadth and it's a little overwhelming as to where do we start, how do we tackle this sector. Um, And I also think that unfortunately the bad news stories tend to make the press. So you get, I find the press in general, you tend to get either the aspirational stories of the Paralympian for example that has climbed to the top of the harbour bridge on his hands and knees because he usually is a wheelchair user well that's fantastic and it's great that it makes news but that's not representative of the majority of people who are wheelchair users that they could possibly achieve that or you see the case of the person who's been refused boarding on an aircraft or hasn't been provided with things. We don't tend to get the stories in the middle and that's what I think we need. We need to just be, um, you know, if there's a travel television show, interweave the accessible storyline in there, just naturally have a, you know, a story where there is somebody in a wheelchair that is accessing a great holiday, but it doesn't have to be the they're climbing to the top of the mountain, it can just be that they're having a holiday like a regular family.
1: So you're saying more inclusive rather than just seeing the extreme situations? For sure,
2: for sure. That should just be part of our everyday life.
1: Do you find that most tourism service providers are willing to be more aware of the needs of disabilities? What is the the kind of uptake and the willingness to make changes?
2: I think in general, tourism, from my experience anyway, tourism providers have their niche markets that they are working towards for a calendar year. And so far I haven't found the accessible market particularly high on the list of places that they are looking to. Yeah. So if I approach a tourism provider, sometimes it's like, Well, this year we're working on, you know, 18 to 25s and we're working on the sort of uh, grey nomad market, the elderly market, Um, but, you know, that's where we're targeting our marketing this year, Um, which would be okay if the next year I heard that they're (laughs) approaching the accessible market, but I'm yet to see that. So um, it's just not high on the agenda. And really uh, it will be carry on. It will be interesting to see because the Australian tourism market depends very heavily on the Asian market, um, and obviously with coronavirus impacting international travel, we all need to look within our own countries now for um, markets. And I think now is the ideal time if they've never looked before. It's a shame it takes a pandemic to actually bring it about but now would be a fantastic time to actually look at that market and look at how you can possibly do it but in saying that we recently stayed at a holiday park um, and the holiday park invited us to go and stay and review their new accessible villa and duplex and we've looked at many villas and duplexes in holiday parks and you know they have beautiful accessible bathrooms and they do them quite well and they're spacious and they often have a view which as a wheelchair user you get quite used to being at the back of a property or in the you overlook the car park in a hotel um but this one had gone. I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked at how much that, how much detail they had put into making their property truly inclusive. And what I tend to look for is the properties that look to the highest support needs because that market in the um, accessible market is the most overlooked. So they'll put in a, you know, a, a big bathroom, but they won't necessarily put in the extras. But this. Um, Holiday Park had put in a pool hoist, which isn't common in Australia. It's very common in the US, but they'd put in a pool seat so that somebody could actually access the pool, which we have hot summers. We want to access water sports. Um, they'd put in a stove top and kitchen bench that actually could be uh, lowered or made higher with the press of a button. And often in the hotel rooms you find that the glasses and the cups in the wheelchair accessible room and in the very top shelf where you can't actually reach them from a wheelchair but they actually had a button that you could press to bring the cupboard down. So um, those are just a few of the features that they had put in that just really impressed me. Plus they'd put in um, remote control operated blinds, sliding doors, glass doors are often very heavy for people to manoeuvre. They had automatic doors on the um, so I was super impressed because it was just a um, caravan park that did have cabins as well and they've done an amazing job. So as much as I'm saying lots of negative things, I guess, about the tourism industry, there is change and that made me just so excited to see that somebody had that vision to, you know, make something as accessible as they had.
1: It sounds rather quite an extraordinary destination definitely one that should be heard about and and um, frequented yes so yeah maybe if you can send us the the name of that we'll we'll add it into the show notes so our people sure. know Australia that'd be good Julie if people would like to contact you if they want to find your platforms find the, the magazine how can they do so
2: um so have wheelchair will wheel travel is just have wheelchair will wheel net. Um, On the internet, and we're on Instagram and Facebook, and we've got a really active Facebook community, which is really lovely. So people often ask questions and things. Trouble Without Limits magazine is available on all English speaking um, Amazons to download, or if people want a hard copy, print copy, um, they can also get it from troublewithoutlimits.com.au. And there's also lots of information um, on our website. Like, which is inclusive to everyone. So we've got vision stories, we have hearing stories, we have sensory stories. We've got it all there on the website as well.
1: And what is the um, web address for that site? travelwithoutlimits.com.au Oh, great. Yes, you did say. Thank you. So I suppose after all the conversations, it almost seems like I'm going back to the beginning with this this final question. But I find often when I talk to people with disabilities, they are nervous about traveling because of the uncertainties, because there's so much research that they have to do up front. What would you say to inspire someone to travel? Why should we do so? Well,
2: our family finds that it really bonds us. And it reminds us that, I guess, because day-to-day we care for our son um, with all his needs. And it reminds us that we're a family, not just people who are sort of doing therapy and care, things like that. So I think it's really important, whether it's a couple, um, for my son and daughter, it's been really important in bonding them as siblings. Um, so it's really been great for us. And I think when you go near to home, I don't actually think you have to go to the other side of the world to feel like you've had a holiday. I think it's about seeing um, or experiencing a destination. And often we only go a couple of hours from home and it's just a change of pace. Um, I just think it really... I don't know, it makes a difference in life. I think we're so busy day to day that we all need to take a break and and spend time and I think it's important when you're first starting out just not to be too ambitious. Do that trip that's only two hours from home or have a staycation in your city. Um, See your city through different eyes by staying in there and not rushing in and just, you know, doing a few sites and then coming out again. Actually experience it like a tourist and, you know, delve in, have food wherever you are and um, certainly make it a multi-sensory experience and, yeah, just really enjoy it.
1: Thank you, Julie. That's Those are very wise words indeed. It's been absolutely fantastic to chat to you today, Julie. I really appreciate your taking the time to come onto a different way of travelling, and I'm sure that we will connect more as we join together in terms of accessible travel and, and the needs of those of us who choose to travel. So thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I really enjoyed chatting to Julie and finding out more about the magazine Travel Without Limits and about Julie's blog, Have Wheelchair, Will Travel. I hope you find those platforms of use to you in your travels. Right. That's pretty much it from me for this time. I'd like to leave you with the words of travel writer, Tim Cahill, who said, a journey is best measured in friends rather than in miles. We'd like to say thank you to you, our travel community, for joining with us on this journey. And we'll see you in the next episode.
0: That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za Editing by Kate Strachan Using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chau, based on a motif by Lloyd Stratton. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on a different way of traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.